60,000 is brought to you in part by RP Funding. RP Funding Inc. is licensed and can offer loans in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia, and is also licensed by the Mississippi Department of Banking and Consumer Finance and by the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities. Office is located at 500 Wonderly Place, Suite 300, Maitland, Florida, 32751. Telephone 321-397-4420. RP Funding's nationwide mortgage licensing system ID number is 70168, and Robert Palmer's NMLS ID number is 76197. We're saving thousands with Robert Palmer right here on the Saving Thousands Radio Network. You know, Robert has worked long and hard to put together a network of 80-plus stations, and he's not done yet. Robert wants to be on radio stations throughout the nation. But instead of syndicating his radio show like so many do, well, Robert has set out to give you an entire hour of content. And there's no time then for commercials to be interrupting Robert and what he's saying because the things that he's saying are to empower you. It's all about giving you those tools that you never got. I mean, when you were growing up, you were taught manners, right? You were taught about following the law. You were taught about going to school and learning your lessons and getting a job. But where was the missing link? Where was the education about money? I mean, I think the most extensive thing that my school ever offered me was how to balance a checkbook. Well, we don't even do that anymore. But I didn't know, and most of you didn't know when we got out of school, how to handle our money. So we were sort of zombies. We were left to just bounce from late payment to late payment, from people calling us and reminding us of payments, to going to the mailbox and worrying about what was in it. But if we were empowered, if we had the right information, well, we'd be home free. There you go. And that is Robert's mission at Saving Thousands. So today, here's what we're going to talk about. Robert is adding a must-do on his list with another empowering project. We're going to talk about the best tool to get the evaluation of your home. We'll talk about one of the newer rules that deals with home buying and then home ownership. We'll talk about the HARP program, manufactured housing. We'll talk refinance. And we'll go back to the early days of RP funding and Robert Palmer having his own company. And oh, the skeptics were coming out of the wall. But Robert, I know in our pre-show meeting, you said that when you came to work today, something was really weighing heavily on your mind. I kind of got hit with uh, a mission. And so I get on the radio and I talk a lot about how frustrated I am that we don't teach our kids anything about financial literacy, credit scores, interest, credit reporting, you know, credit cards, any of this stuff in school. And and so I've decided that instead of continuing to complain about it, I'm going to try to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've uh, I've got a couple lobbyists that we pay for mortgage-related stuff over at my mortgage company, and I've got a lot of resources. And so I'm going to build a campaign, and I'm going to put those resources to use, and I'm going to try to change this. I'm going to try to force our school systems, first at the local level, and then on, on a, hopefully a national level, uh, to doing something about this. So, uh, you know, I'm going to put, we're putting together a plan. I'm going to meet with uh, some political strategists, and we're going to figure out the best way, whether it's by, you know, petition, by getting, you know, all of my listeners and people together to sign a petition. But we've got to do something, Rob. We've got to educate our kids. We've got to arm our kids with knowledge when it comes to financial services. You know, I, every week I get on here and I complain about this whole financial zombie situation. And, and, and if things do not change, we are heading for a financial zombie apocalypse, which is going to be the time where nobody cares anymore. Nobody pays attention and financial services companies just run wild taking advantage of us. And to change this, we've got to change it at the root of the problem, which is with our kids. You know, if, if kids are taught these rules, if kids are taught how to spot the tricks, if kids are taught how to protect themselves from getting into financial trouble, if they're taught how to make better financial decisions in school, earlier in life. Because remember, parents don't like to talk about money. They don't. They don't. And we're trying to change that. And again, we can change that on the scale of the 100, 120,000 people who listen to the show. But you know, I want to change it globally. I want to change it nationally. I want to change it with everybody. And so the way I feel like we have to do that is with the schools. And I understand schools have budget constraints. You know, I'm, I'm, even, I'm willing to put up the money to write the curriculum. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll bankroll this whole thing. You know, we're, we're going to make this happen. This is something I feel like we have to do. We've got to get our kids trained and educated and made more aware when it comes to all things financial. So I want to thank people for their support. A lot of people getting behind what we're trying to do here. You know, the idea of waking people up, teaching people how to be financial ninjas, uh, stopping this whole financial zombie apocalypse that I think is happening uh, where we just get lazier and lazier and lazier. We're getting sucked in by auto pay and online bill pay and, and online statements that hide disclaimers from us. There's just so much going on. And, and that's what the rules are all about. That's what this show's all about. 
And now the the new movement I'm going to start to try to to move toward teaching our kids and, and having a more structured way to educate our kids when it comes to financial literacy. Uh, you know, because again, you know, if you, if you think back, there's there's been campaigns in the past, Rob, for you know for reading, and there's been campaigns for for different things. No one has ever really gotten on the the financial literacy bandwagon. Never. And, and I think I think the reason is because the the financial guys have too much power. You know, they make too much money. They've got they've got the real powerful lobbyists, and I think everybody is afraid to go up mm-hmm. against them. I'm not, you know, <laughs> hey, I, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm good for a fight, you know, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go up against the big financial services companies and we're going to educate our kids on how to not be financial zombies and how to do a better job and spot the tricks and, and be, you know, better consumers and be smarter consumers. And we're going to tick off a lot of people along the way, but that's okay mm-hmm. because this is, this is something I believe that we have to do. And if we don't do it, I think we're, we're heading for a much bigger problem somewhere down the road. I think we really are. I love the story that we tell on the air here, and that is the one that uh, how you started your trip of learning, your journey of learning the economy, and that was taking the money that your mom made, and she just spread it out all over the floor. I also heard a story the other day about somebody when their son got his first job. He was 17. He got his first job. He's at a fast food restaurant. He's working. He comes home and says, Dad, the gross adds up. I figured up my hours and my $8 an hour, and it all figured up. But who's this FICA guy? Who's taking my money? He is soon to become and listen to this program and become a financial ninja because he's not happy with where his money's going. Yeah, I'm telling you, Rob, that 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 lesson my mother gave me when I was probably seven or eight years old, where she laid out her paycheck and showed me where it all went. Yes, sir. Uh, and you know, and she wasn't she wasn't ever afraid to talk to this stuff about. I mean, a lot of her friends and, and family members told her she was crazy. You know, you can't you can't show your your eight year old how much money you make. You can't show your eight year old where money goes. And if you look at, it, at the confidence it gave me in life and, and yeah. it prepared me for an, an amazing career, I, I gave a speech at the Orlando Science Center last week for the Orlando Business Journal uh, Growth Expo. And one of the big things I talked about was, uh, you know, because of lessons like that, because of the things she taught me when I was young, uh, I really believe I can do anything. And I don't mm-hmm. have these self-limiting doubts that a lot of people fight with. Um, you know, one of the examples I gave uh, during the speech was uh, I learned how to play chess before I was, I mean, I was probably in kindergarten and, and she taught me how to play chess. And so a lot of people, when I tell them that story, they're like, oh my, oh wow, how, how could someone that young learn chess? And I look back and I say, well, how old were you when you learned how to talk, right? And, and <laughs> so point. if I wanted to teach you Spanish right now, Rob, it would take much longer than me teaching you how to play chess. True. I, I, could, teach you, I could teach you chess in an hour. Right. If I was going to teach you how to speak another language, it would take weeks, months, maybe years. in your case, years. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. So, uh, so again, so... <laughs> If we can learn to speak that young, why do we think we can't do these other things? And and this is where it's our own fault. You know, if, if we start teaching kids younger how to do things, if, if we take away this idea that, oh, well, they've got to be older before they can learn that, why? You know, I mean, if you look at, you know, look at how many billionaires we have now that are in their early 20s, mm-hmm. you know, because of the tech boom. You know, back in the day, the thought was you can't, you can't be a billionaire when you're that young. You know, when I started my first mortgage company at 18, people said, you can't start a mortgage company at 18. You know, and so we, we pile on all these self-limiting beliefs and, and we keep ourselves from reaching our, our potential. And when it comes to finance, it's the absolute worst because nobody wants to talk about it. And so now all of a sudden, you know, a kid turns 18, 19, they're getting their first checks. They're out there getting a credit card, you know, and they're getting the wrong one because they're getting the one from the, the tent at their college or, or at the sporting event with the, the team logo on it. And they're not looking at APR and they're not looking at annual fees and they're not looking at any of the, the things that go along with that card because no one's taught them the questions to ask. And the financial services companies know this. They know they can sell a credit card to an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old based on the picture on the front of the plastic. Now, just think about how ridiculous that sounds. The picture, uh-huh. the school mascot, the team mascot, whatever it is, the picture on the front of the credit card has absolutely nothing to do with the underlying merits of that credit card, right? It doesn't make it a good card. It doesn't make it a bad card. It has nothing to do with it. But because our young folks, because our kids are not educated on what to look at, what to look for when it comes to credit cards, the financial service industry has figured out they can sell them some really crappy cards by putting a picture of their school mascot on it or by putting a picture of their favorite sports team's mascot on it. And education is the only way to stop this. And again, we believe, oh, well, we we can't talk to eight, nine-year-olds about money. Why not? You know, we we can't talk. We can't tell our kids how much money we make. Why? I mean, is your your head going to explode? Is their head going to (laughs) explode? I mean, are you worried they're going to tell the neighbors? I mean, what's more important? Your child understanding and being prepared for one of the most important facets of everyone's life. There is no one out there listening who does not in some way deal with money. Yeah. Right? There may be some people who uh, we're not going to have credit cards. 
I, I disagree with that philosophy, but I understand that people have it. But there's nobody out there that doesn't have checking accounts, that hasn't had some type of debt in their life, whether they borrowed it officially and it's on their credit report, or they borrowed it at a buy here, pay here car place, or they borrowed it at a pawn shop, or they borrowed it somewhere. Everyone at some point in their life has been affected by interest, but it is something we don't want to talk about, we don't want to educate our kids about, and that is what has to change. Mm-hmm. And so if parents aren't going to do it, then we've got to do it in the schools. We've got to do it somewhere. I've got to do it. We've got to figure out a way to do it. And that's what this whole movement, this whole campaign is going to be about, is figuring out the best way, pooling the resources I have. How do we best educate our kids to prepare them for the financial decisions that come in life so they can't be taken advantage of, so they don't get credit cards based on the picture on the front of the plastic, so they don't sign up for and take out mortgages they can't afford and lead to another crisis, another bubble. So they don't make bad financial decisions and take out student loans with mounting amounts of debt from colleges that the degree isn't worth anything. You know, all of these things have to happen. And, and the rules here on saving thousands are all geared toward forcing you to make these better decisions. But we've got to get them in the hands of our young people earlier in life. And that's what this whole campaign's about, Rob. If you're tuning in late, you're saving thousands with Robert Palmer. Coming up, we're going to talk more financial empowerment for you with Robert Palmer. But first, I wanted to take you to SavingThousands.com. See, SavingThousands.com is another one of the things that Robert Palmer has masterminded to help you with your finances, to give you articles, easy to read, easy to understand, and not very time-consuming, to bring you radio shows and info modules that you can listen to on demand to give you some of those lessons or answers, so to speak, of things that you're unfamiliar with in finance, all right? So savingthousands.com covers just about everything. You will find the Saving Thousands Rules to Success. There are 15 of them. Those 15 rules are sort of like a GPS, but for your financial life. If you're getting in your car and you're going to a place you've never been before, well, you'll enter in that information on your smartphone in the GPS, or on the unit in your car. And magically, there'll be a map appear, and magically, there'll be directions, and that lady's always telling you, turn right, get in the left lane, all that sort of thing. Well, the 15 rules are kind of like that. Because when you get the 15 rules, and you copy them off your computer, you'll come to financial intersections, and you'll know where to go, because the 15 rules address each and everything that you'll run into financially. It's a great collection. It is really something. So go to savingthousands.com. Click on the tab that says the rules and read the 15 rules. Take them with you. Make them part of your life and you'll suddenly become a lot more empowered. Robert, what else is on your mind today? Rob, let's talk about the Home Value Hotline a little bit. All right. Home Value Hotline is something that is really important to you if you own a home. That's 866-222-8231. 866-222-8231. One more time slowly. 866-222-8231. Eight, two, three, one. Do you have any idea how much your home is worth? I bet you can tell me within a dollar of how much is in your wallet. I bet you can tell me how much gas you have left in the tank, how much your neighbor makes, how much you're going to make next year. But your house, the biggest asset you have in your portfolio is your house. How much is it worth? Yeah, and the worst thing you can do is go online and use one of these <laughs> eonline.com appraisals or whatever. that you know they use this, They use this bogus cost per square footage approach which just doesn't work because it doesn't, I mean, look, here's the deal. At the end of the day, uh, location, 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 right? And and that mm-hmm. doesn't just mean neighborhood or zip code. That can mean this side of the street versus that side of the street. That can mean the beautiful lake view out the back or the preserve view out the back versus you're staring into a Winn-Dixie parking lot out the back, right? I mean, sure. this is the kind of things that happen. And, and, and how nice is the house? Has it been remodeled? How old is the roof? What does it look like inside? Because a lot of buying a home is emotional. You know, it's not just, we're not, we don't walk in there and be like, well, dear, we're not paying more than $11 a square foot for a house, you know, whatever. It's, it doesn't work that way, you know, and, but that's how these online computer systems try. They try to boil home values down to an archaic cost per square foot value. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And it's made them billions of dollars. I mean, they, these guys, you know, the Zillow and truly and these guys are making crazy billions of dollar valuations by giving away bogus home valuations. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great business model. You know, you mm-hmm. you take garbage misinformation and you turn it into a billion dollar company. I mean, God God bless America, right? But if you want to know what your home is really worth, you can call the Home Value Hotline. And so, when I personally need to know what one of my properties is worth, uh, when you know my buddy I talk about a lot, who's got the the you know the the sixteen million dollars worth of rental properties around Central Florida, when he wants to know what one of his properties is worth, 
uh, we have this network of real estate agents that we call. We have a relationship with because we're in the business. The average consumer doesn't have that. And so I built the Home Value Hotline to give you access to the same resources I have. So you can call the Home Value Hotline. It's free. There's no obligation. There's no hardcore sales pitch. We're not going to try to sell you some Ginsu knives on the back end of the deal. <laughs> you know, I mean, just call the Home Value Hotline. You'll hear my voice. It's a recorded message. Leave some basic information, and a local real estate expert will call you back and talk you through what your home is worth. I say this all the time, Rob. If you're out there listening, if you think you're going to sell your home in the next 18 months, if you think there is any chance at all that you are going to sell your home in the next 18 months, you know who you are. You're hearing me right now. Do not procrastinate. Start the process now by finding out what your home is worth, okay? So many of the decisions about selling a home start with that first key piece of information, which is what's the home worth. The other beautiful thing is you can talk to the agent who gives you your free home valuation about time to sell, best time to sell. Maybe there are things you can do to improve your home's value between now and when you're ready to sell. Guess what? If you call the home value hotline a month before you're ready to sell your house, that won't do you any good, right? You don't have time to do any of the things to increase your home uh -huh. value. So if you think you're going to sell your home anytime in the next 18 months, you know who you are. I'm talking to you right now, right? I want you to look to your right, look to your left. Nope, I'm talking to you. You are the person who is thinking about selling your home in the next 18 months. Pick up the phone right now and call the Home Value Hotline. Be a financial ninja. Get the information you need. Get the home's value today so you can be prepared, so you can start planning, because selling a home is a big deal. It's a big financial decision. You need all the information you can get. The first key piece is the home valuation from a reputable source, which is my Home Value Hotline. So pick out, pull out your phone right now, all right? I'm talking to you. You right there. You, yes, you, that's going to sell your home in the next 18 months. Pick up your phone and prepare to punch in these numbers. Rob, give them the numbers to punch in. Talk All slow. Right. Punch them in one there at a time. Go. Here we go. Are you ready to punch? Eight, six, six, two, 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 eight, two, three, one. Put it in your phone in your contacts. Eight, six, six, two, 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 eight, two, three, one. And you're on your way. That's it. So again, they're gonna they're gonna call you're gonna call that number. You're gonna hear my voice. I'm gonna tell you to leave your name and phone number and the address of your home. Uh, and then we're gonna get that to the local real estate agent who I would call in that area, if I wanted to know what one of my houses was worth, if I was thinking about selling one of my houses in the next 18 months, this is what I would be doing right now. And the cool thing is, in addition to just giving you the home value, they're going to talk to you about why your home is worth that much, what activities mm. and trends are happening in that neighborhood. Are, are things going up? Are things going down? Is there a sale that can help you? Is there a sale that can hurt you? Is there a, Are there a lot of homes about to come on the market in that area? Is there a certain time of year where that neighborhood sells for more than other times a year. These things happen and the uh, members of the home value hotline will be able to share this with you. So uh, one more time on the phone number, All Mr. Right. Newton. 866-222-8231. The home value hotline, everybody. All right. So that's the home value hotline. We want you to be an informed and smart consumer. And uh, if you're thinking about selling your home anytime in the next 18 months, the time now is to start laying down those plans. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait till the last minute. Don't get caught in a situation where you cost yourself thousands of dollars in potential sales price because you make a couple stupid decisions because you procrastinated, all right? Call the Home Value Hotline today. Get that going. Uh, if you're not thinking about selling your home, then you need to be thinking about refinancing your home with us here at RP Funding, sure. taking advantage of the two and a half million bucks that I pulled out of the advertising budget uh, in order to, to create raving fans, in order to create word of mouth advertising by bribing you with a refinance with no closing costs, all right? Because I'm paying them all, RP Funding, NMLS ID 70168. Pick up the phone and give us a call, 855-773-8634. That's 855-RP-FUNDING, 855-773-8634. A lot more financial empowerment coming your way as we're saving thousands with Robert Palmer. A couple of more things I wanted to point out that are very valuable to you at savingthousands.com. Savingthousands.com, you have to spell out thousands. It's a free website, an empowering website, Nowhere on Saving Thousands will you find any solicitation for you to buy anything. Furthermore, there's no banner ads. All of this is information that's been put together by Robert Palmer and his staff of researchers at Saving Thousands. And all of this information is designed to make a society that is responsible with their money, is empowered with their money. And let's just look at it this way. The bigger picture. If everybody is not running from creditors, if everybody's in charge when they sit down and apply for that loan or apply for that credit card or go for that mortgage or the refi, if they're confident in that and they're confident of the money and they're not falling prey to the tricks of the financial institutions, everybody wins. 
So a couple of more things to look at at Saving Thousands. One is you'll find a uh, tab at the top of the homepage that says Station Listings. And so when you hit the road and you're driving around, you can take Saving Thousands with Robert Palmer with you. All right. There's also radio shows. These are archived shows that we have put on the website that you can play on demand as many times as you want. And there's no membership cost. There are no cost whatsoever. And our research team, working with Robert, has come up with some great articles. And these articles are always being added to. Right now, some of those really great articles that you tend to be going to more than others. A zero credit card balance. Does it hurt or help your credit? Refinancing your mortgage and saving money on your home. How to use credit cards to your advantage. And the real story of the student loan crisis. Robert, I tell you what, as we continue with the show and we continue to empower people, you're talking about a new rule to be added to our Saving Thousands Rules to Success, and it has to do with strategies of mortgage, the original one, and then later going into a refi. What are we talking about? Uh, so one of the things I want to talk about today, Rob, is uh, our, one of our new rules, uh, newer rules, I guess, which is uh, you know when you're buying a home, you're most likely going to use a 30-year mortgage, right? And we're going to talk about why I recommend this. But then refinancing to a 15-year mortgage uh, as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. And we're, what we see for most people is this is somewhere between three and seven years is when most people are able to make the change and go from the 30-year to the 15-year. And I'm going to walk you through some examples today, and we're going to talk about this. Again, this is one of the newer rules. We haven't spent a lot of time on it here on the network. Uh, you know, and, and this one, uh, this one actually had some influence in my life from my father-in-law, uh, Phil. You know, he he did this and and was able to you know, pay his house off very quickly because of it. You know, and now as he prepares for retirement, you know, he hasn't had a mortgage payment in seven or eight years. Oh. And, uh, you know, that, that allows him to put a lot more money into savings and 401k. And so as we talk about the benefits, you know, but one of the, a couple of the, the big things that he did is one, he bought the right house up front the first time. And he's been in that house for uh, close to 20 something years now. And, uh, and then on top of that, he made this move to go from a 30 year to a 15 year pretty early on. Uh, and then even still paid it off sooner than the 15 years. So let's start with the first part of this, you know, because obviously, you know, we've had the rule about owning real estate sooner, not later. Um, you know, th- this is a big one. The amount of wealth we can build, I've talked about this a lot, how it is important to own real estate. No one talks about dying, uh, being a renter for the rest of their life, you know, retiring uh, as a renter for the rest of their life. I think most people view at some point they're going to own a home. And, and the longer you put that off, it's kind of like savings, right? You know, the longer we put off savings, I think everybody's heard, you know, the sooner you start you know, putting money in your 401k, the more money you're going to have, obviously. You know, the, the sooner you start putting money into investment accounts, the more money you're going to have, obviously. Well, the same thing happens with real estate. The sooner you buy that home, the sooner and the faster you can build equity. And the sooner and faster you can find yourself in a situation where the home is owned free and clear. And I think as a society, we got out of this. You know, we got caught up so much in the bigger, badder houses, right? And the McMansions. And, and a lot of the attitude that led to the crash, you know, if, if you look now, we're, we're seven, eight years after the crash mm-hmm. and, and the circumstances that led to the crash have been going on for seven or eight years before that, you know, so there was a period in there, a pretty long period in there where people were upgrading to nicer houses instead of making the right financial decision, which would have been to go to a 15 year on the house they were in. Right. So, you know, it was like, well, you know, we're, we're making a little more money and we've paid down our home a little bit and we've got a little equity. You know, plan A would be let's let's refinance to a 15 year mortgage and let's get this thing paid off faster or plan B, let's sell it and go buy a house that's twice as expensive. You know, and uh, that was the that was the decision that we saw made the most, uh, you know, obviously during the crash and leading up to the crash. And and so, you know, this decision, this decision to stay in the in the same home. So that's the first thing. Right. If you're going to stay in the home, it's got to be the right home. And, and I've got a couple different uh different philosophies on this one. I am kind of what I would like to call like a house hoarder, Rob. Uh-huh. So, you know, once I buy a house, I hate, I hate to sell it, you know, and, and I think keeping it as a rental property, uh, you know, is a great plan. And, and again, the, the, that fits in with this as well, you know, buying a home, refinancing it to a 15 year. And then if you can cash flow it on the rents, you're going to have it paid off sooner. Now you've got a free and clear house that someone else is making the payments on. Um, I've actually, I've got a book coming out about uh, in the next four or five months here about real estate investing called appreciation opportunity mm-hmm. uh, that really covers a lot of those, those, those basics and, and how to measure the idea of owning an investment property or converting your house into an investment property. But let's take that off the table for a minute. Right. So let's say, you, you know, you get into a house. Uh, the key is to buy the right house, right? And this is, I really want you to buy 
uh, as much house as you can afford comfortably, right? And, and so that's where the 30-year mortgage comes into play. If you buy the house right out of the gate on a 15-year, then chances are you're having to give up some features, which may make you want to leave that house. And, and that's one of the worst things we can do. If you're not going to retain it, right? If you're going to buy the house and then think you're going to resell it in two, three years, uh, you've really negated all of the the benefits and gains of home ownership. When you look at the closing costs you have to pay as a seller when you sell a piece of property. And that's what my book really digs into, Rob, is how to look at those soft costs, which is mm-hmm. the cost of the real estate commissions and the, the closing costs, and look at the, the cost of, of buying the home, selling the home, moving into the home, moving out of the home, You know, taking all of that into account because it all fits into the financial picture. And so if, if we buy too little home, too little of a home, right? So we, we, we don't buy enough home and we're not going to be happy with that home. And then we find ourselves two years later selling that home Whatever we made in appreciation, whatever we paid down in equity is now going out the door in closing costs, uh, concessions to the buyer, and real estate commissions. And so what I will tell you is the only real time that buying a home is a mistake is if you turn around and sell it too quickly, right? Now, there are some examples where home values have gone up dramatically and people have made some money. Um, but again, that we can't bank on that, right? I mean, you can't count on the fact that what we saw over the last couple of years where homes have gone up 20% in value, uh, you know, in a normal market, we're going to see, you know, two to 3% appreciation. So if the home goes up 3% in value the first year and 3% in value the second year, well, there's enough to cover the 6% real estate commission. So that's a break even, right? And then, and then you're probably gonna need another 3% appreciation the third year to cover the closing costs that the seller usually ends up paying on behalf of the buyer. So, you know, when you, when you do go to sell a home, that first 6 to 9% in gains is gone because you're going to pay that to get out of the house. Mm. And so this is where buying a home and reselling it too quickly uh, can turn into a bad financial decision. Now, keeping that home as an investment property, uh, now you don't, you don't face any of those. You know, go on and buy your next home, but retain that one. Keep it. Put a, put a tenant in there. Like, let somebody else make your mortgage payment. So that, that's the better strategy. Well, I hope you're feeling empowered, especially at this time of year when you're going to be tempted to spend your hard-earned money. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I know there's radio hosts, and I know there's people in late-night financial pundits who say, you know, keep that money in the bank. Don't be spending your money at Christmas. But if you've become empowered as to the ways of your finances, you know how much you can safely spend, and you know how you can spend it without bringing on those January worries of what's going to be on that credit card bill. We just have to be smart about it, and it can actually be more fun. I know it sounds kind of, you know, demanding. Is that the word I'm looking for when we say we need a Christmas budget? But really, we kind of do, because how many of us have had to show up in January to one of those week-long pay advance program places and get some money just so we can meet our January bills because we spent so much on Christmas and Hanukkah and the rest, Okay. So let's be responsible with our spending, but let's not let it drag us down and get depressed. There's an awful lot of cool things you can give people that don't cost a lot. And yet, if you've got a pretty good balance in your bank and you say, I can take a portion of that without hurting myself and make some people happy and do some spending on the holidays, go for it. But just do it responsibly. Read the 15 rules to success. Carry them with you as you're shopping. And I do want you to go back to the internet and visit A State of Eyes. E-S-T-A-T-I-V-I-Z-E. Estate Advise has been designed to revitalize the real estate industry, especially for younger people. Great articles, great videos, great interviews. It's all right there at Estate Advise, another free service of the Robert Palmer family of companies. Well, Robert, when I was going over the headlines at the beginning of the show, I mentioned a lot of topics. So where do you want to go from here? All right. Now, we got a, I got a text here asking me to discuss HARP. That came in a few minutes ago, so we're okay. going to talk about Harp. And then I also got one that says uh, they want me to talk about trailer homes or mobile homes on their own property. And uh, will banks agree to a short sale? Uh, not until your so many payments passed. All right, so we're going to talk about these three things. We'll start with okay. Harp. Mm-hmm. So Harp is the Home Affordable Refinance Program. Harp was created by the government at the time when home prices were very, very depressed, and the vast majority of people were underwater. And meanwhile, interest rates had dropped considerably. And so the idea was if we let people take advantage of low rates, if we have all these people who bought their home at a six and a half or a seven percent interest rate, and we lower their interest rate to three or three and a half or four because rates are lower, their payment will go down. They are more likely to stay in their home. And I will tell you, Rob, I honestly believe that HARP saved our housing market 
and saved our country from the depths that the recession could have reached, okay? Because without HARP, so many more people would have walked away from their homes. So many more people would have not been able to afford their homes, right? We saw people who saved four, five, six hundred $600 a month by taking advantage of HARP. So now all of a sudden it was more attractive to stay in their home and keep making payments than it would be to walk away and go rent an apartment mm-hmm. somewhere. So HARP was created for this. So here's how this works. If you have a loan that is backed by either Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, right? Now, you don't make your payments to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. So when you make your payments to, I would say almost something like 90 or 92% of all mortgages made in the last, since the crash, are backed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Right. When you get a loan from RP Funding and, and you make your payments to us and we service your loan, we are actually securitizing the loan in the background with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Uh, and so to find out if Fannie or Freddie own your loan, there's a lookup tool on the internet. And so if you go into Google and you type in, does Fannie Mae own my loan or does Freddie Mac own my loan, it'll ask you for your address, the last four-year social security number, some other information, it will tell you yes or no. If you get a yes on either one of those, you now can do HARP, theoretically. Uh, the other thing is you have to have had your mortgage since back in 2000, I think it's like June 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, that website will give you the exact date. Uh, so a lot of people have already taken advantage of HARP, or people who refinanced after 2009 no longer can take advantage of HARP. But they really don't need to. Because if you bought your home after 2009, you should have equity. Because we didn't see home prices go down. We've seen the opposite. We've seen home prices uh. go up since then. So the, the real key to HARP is that you don't need a new appraisal in most cases. And even if you do need a new appraisal, it doesn't really matter what it comes in at because we can loan you way above the appraised value when it comes to a HARP loan. So HARP is purely there for people who have Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loans. They've had them since pre-2009, and they still do not have enough equity in their home to take advantage of a refinance. Now, we offer HARP loans here at RP Funding on both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans because we're a direct seller servicer with Fannie and Freddie. Uh, the next thing is when you do a HARP loan with RP Funding, I'm paying all the closing costs right now. <laughs> oh, uh, so this was unique. A lot of banks looked at HARP as a way to make extra profits and take advantage of their clients. And so on their HARP loans, they charged all these extra fees. And they actually did seminars on this at some of the conferences I went to. They said, well, these people are already upside down, so they don't care if you charge them a bunch of fees because they're already upside down. Well, I think that's garbage. So if you do a HARP loan with RP funding, I pay all the closing costs. You get our great low rates. And if you're upside down, you can take advantage of the refinance, even though you don't have equity. Uh, in some cases, if you if you didn't have PMI before, you won't have to have PMI again. There's there's a lot of cool things with HARP, uh, but that's the basics of the program. It was built to let people who did not have enough equity to refinance take advantage of the refinance. The only catch is you have to have a Fannie or a Freddie-backed loan. A lot of people do not. And unfortunately for all of those people, until rates until home prices get back high enough where they can refinance, we're getting close. Yes. We're seeing a lot of people uh, who their home value is getting very close back to where it used to be. Uh, so that's exciting. So that's the basics on HARP. Uh, that question came in through the text line at 35353. Again, you can shoot us questions at 35353. Uh, next question, talking about mobile homes on your own property. Yeah, a lot of questions. So here's here's the thing. So you can finance. There's two ways to finance manufactured homes. And while I do not finance manufactured homes at RP Funding, uh, early in my career, we financed a ton of them. I was very involved in this industry. I've got a lot of knowledge with it. I actually own a number of modular and manufactured homes uh, in Polk County uh, as, as rental properties. <laughs> Uh, and, and so there's two ways to finance manufactured homes. One is as what's called chattel, which is where you basically get a car loan on it. So you get a loan that's that's guaranteed by the title of the manufactured home. It has nothing to do with real estate. It's not a mortgage. It's called a chattel loan. Uh, and basically it's a car loan and it uses the title of the manufactured home. The other way to finance a manufactured home is to put it on a piece of land, set it up on a permanent foundation, retire the titles, and now you have it taxed as real property. You get what's called an RP, a real property sticker. A little, uh, little ironic there. They do that for you? Yeah. So you get, oh. your, you get your real property sticker, which says that the titles have been retired and the manufactured home is now considered real property, and now you can get a mortgage on it. Uh, unfortunately, most mortgage companies do not lend on manufactured homes, including right. us. And, and one of the reasons is we, the default rate is insane. And I don't know why. I don't know what, I don't know what causes manufactured homes to have a higher default rate, mm-hmm. but they are, they're almost 10 times as likely to end up in foreclosure as a site-built home. And I don't I don't know what the reasoning behind it is. I don't want to guess as to what the reasoning behind it is. But statistically, it's a riskier product. And, and so we don't like risk. Uh, the other thing I will tell you is usually, uh, and it depends, but in a lot of cases, because the insurance is so much more expensive. I mean, yeah, the, the homeowner's right. insurance is very, very expensive. And then the interest rates are higher. And so really what happens is when you look at all that, you could almost have a regular block house for the same monthly payment because the insurance is so expensive 
and because the interest rates are higher and because they are so much more difficult to finance. So that's, uh, I wish I had better news. I wish I had better advice on that. Uh, and then the other question I'm not really understanding, it says, well, the banks agree to a short sale, not until eight payment. I guess they're asking how delinquent you have to be. And so here's what I'll tell you. There's no real law on this. A bank can technically short sale if you're current. And we've seen this happen a couple of times. We've seen some people that have gotten new mortgages from us uh, because they sold, they did a short sale on their house and they weren't ever late. And if you're not ever late, then there's no waiting period. So sometimes the bank will let you do a short sale, even if you're not past due, uh, because maybe you're getting transferred for your job. Maybe something happened in your life. You write a good hardship letter. You say, hey, bank, I'm going to keep making this payment, but I don't know how long I can keep going. Please let me short sell this house. Uh, but in most cases, yes, they want you to be delinquent. Uh, you know, you're asking about a, an eight payments late. I don't really know about. Uh, there's not really a certain number. You know, I would say as soon as you're five or six payments late, they know it's serious and you're probably not going to catch up. Uh, but again, talk to your bank. Reach out. Open lines of communication. Call them. Tell them what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Tell them the reason for your short sale. Uh, you know, basically for those who don't know, a short sale means that you owe more than the house is worth. Okay, so if I owe two hundred thousand and the house will only sell for one hundred fifty thousand, when I sell it for one hundred fifty thousand. The bank is going to look at me and want to know where the other fifty grand is because I, I owe the bank two hundred and I'm going to sell the house to you, Rob, for one hundred and fifty. I'm going to be fifty thousand short. I probably don't have the fifty thousand to cover the difference. Exactly. And so a short sale means that you ask the bank to forgive the other fifty thousand and just accept the current value of the home, which in a lot of cases they will do. And that has to be a, a real arm's length transaction. Like you can't do. Yeah, I you can't buy your brother's it, house. I couldn't sell it to you, Rob. You know because we know we each work other. Together. We yeah. work together. You can't sell it to a friend or family member. You've got to sell it, and it's got to be gone. Uh, another question just came in on the text line, 35353, and that's, uh, what's the difference between lender fees and closing costs? All right, so this, Excellent. So this is a good one. So uh, at RP Funding, we never charge lender fees. And then on refis right now, I'm paying all of the closing costs. So let me explain those differences. So closing costs here in the state of Florida, uh, we don't have a state income tax. And so we have very high state closing costs. So closing costs are going to include things like uh, – Title insurance, right? So when you close on a home, there's a title company. Mm -hmm. So you've got to pay title closing fees. You've got to pay for title insurance. Uh, you've got to pay. Uh, you've got to pay the search and exam fees to the title company. There are uh, state closing costs, state taxes. This is documentary stamps on the mortgage. This is doc stamps on the deed if it's a purchase. This is intangible tax on the mortgage. Uh, those equal about uh, on about eleven hundred bucks on a two hundred thousand dollar loan. The title insurance and costs are going to be probably twelve or thirteen hundred bucks on a two hundred thousand dollar loan. Uh, you know, there's interim interest, there's an appraisal. These are all things we call closing costs. And so closing costs can be three, four, five thousand dollars recording fees, everything else. Then there's the lender fees. So lender fees is what you pay to the lender. And so to me, the big differentiator is if the money is paid to a third party, if it's paid to the state of Florida, uh -huh. if it's paid to the appraiser, if it's paid to the title company, that is a closing cost. It's real money, right? It's real. If it's paid to the lender, if it was being paid to me to RP funding, then that's a lender fee. That's a junk fee. That's a profit item the lender is charging you. These are things like underwriting fees, processing fees, origination fees, mortgage broker fees. They can really call them whatever they want. Uh, the key is they're paid to the lender. And so at RP funding, we never charge the lender fees. So right there, we're going to be $1,000, dollars $2,000 cheaper than most of our competitors, depending on how much they charge in lender fees. But then right now on refinance transactions, I'm paying all of the closing costs in addition to not charging any lender fees. And the way I'm doing that is I took the money out of my advertising budget. So we spend millions of dollars a year on advertising. And so I took two and a half million dollars of that. And I took it away from the billboard companies. And I took it away from the TV stations. And I took it away from the radio stations. Uh, and I took it away from Google pay-per-click. And I took it away from our direct mail budget. And I'm using that $2.5 million to pay all of your closing costs when you refinance with RP funding because I believe the word-of-mouth advertising, Rob, that I will get from paying all of the closing costs will be more effective than if I had given that $2.5 million to the TV stations and radio stations and everybody else. We're going to see if I'm right or not because we're in the middle of this experiment now. So we'll, right. you know, I think it's working. I think it's working beautifully. So if you're thinking about refinancing, you can call us right now. In addition to not charging lender fees— I'm going to pay all of your closing costs by using this $2.5 million I took out of my advertising budget. And you can call us at 855-773-8634. That's 855-773-8634, 855-RP-Funding, or go to rpfunding.com. Refinance right now, and I will pay every penny of the closing costs. Plus, I don't charge you any lender fees. Big savings, great rates. We're taking that money right out of our advertising budget. 
And so what I need you to do is when you take advantage of that, I need you to go tell your friends and family because I'm basically paying you for for money I should be spending on advertising. And if you ever have a question about mortgages, refis, I don't mean you're making a commitment. I mean, maybe you just have a question of some phase of from application all the way through closing that you don't understand. Well, that's perfectly logical. We talked about it early in the show. We have no basis of information when we're growing up or going through school, information about economics. I mean, oh, they try to teach us world economics and Harvard theory. Well, you know what? That does not have a real effect on us directly as consumers. We're a little bit more worried about how we're going to make our bills. You know what I mean? We can look at the World Monetary Fund as much as we want, and we can look at it politically, and we can look at everything that's happening in some of these countries with their crises. But what we've got to do at the end of the day is we've got to be the chief financial officer of our own family. And to do that, nobody gave us any rules. There was no book. There was no, you know, Ten Commandments of money. Well, Robert's kind of helped out there with the 15 rules to success. And of course, with the websites. And speaking of websites, there's another one I wanted to introduce you to, and it's absolutely free. It's another website that is put up to get you engaged in real estate, engaged in a mortgage engaged in how this all works so you can have that beautiful home at the end of the block that beautiful home with a garden and maybe a swimming pool in the backyard maybe your own batting cage whatever it is you can have that if you just get educated in the ways of money and the ways things happen and you'd be surprised with the amount of money that you're paying in rent what you could do with a home so check out real prospector real prospector right like you're prospecting for real estate, real prospector. You're going to love this site. A lot of great articles. And there's interviews on there that are done right here in our studios with leading real estate professionals. Talk about getting an insight. You've got an insight on your way. But right now, Robert, I kind of want to take a little walk back in time. I mean, it's the holidays. We're relaxing. But I want to go back to the first time we met, the early days of RP funding, and the fact that there were a lot of people out there, especially in the financial industry, that weren't very excited about your new ideas or the ways you wanted to help consumers. You wanted to turn the mortgage industry on its ear. And so in the beginning, they were like, oh, yeah, this is what I heard more than anything, Rob. RP is never going to make it. He'll run out of money soon. Like, I love how they assume that I am I am losing money, right? Like, he'll mm-hmm. run out of money soon, assuming that mm. I, I had some large amount of money. And that large amount of money is going down every month. And there is a point where I will no longer have any money and I will disappear and they can all go back to charging fees, right? That's RP will uh, run out of money soon. He'll be off the TV. He'll be off the billboards. He'll they'll probably cancel his radio show and, <laughs> and he'll be homeless. And we're going to see him down in, uh, we're going to see him down in Munn Park in Lakeland, you know, with a little sign homeless <laughs> because he spent all his money uh, giving away loans with no lender fees, mm-hmm. right? Not going to happen, no. right? Now we're, we're doing pretty well over here at RP Funding and we're doing it by putting the consumer first, which is what drives the, comp- the competitors crazy. Like they just, they are so angry about the fact that we do these mortgages with no lender fees. And then when I came out with the, when I took the two and a half million dollars out of my advertising budget and, and stuck it into uh, paying people's closing costs, I really think there were some local mortgage guys whose head literally exploded. Like I'm, I'm talking like their, their assistant had to come in and clean up their office because <laughs> their head spontaneously exploded uh, when they heard that I was doing refinance mortgages and I was paying all of the closing costs out of my advertising budget, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, so I would like to apologize to that secretary who had to clean up that mess <laughs> when my competitors' heads spontaneously exploded because I started paying all the closing costs on refinances. Uh, it's just what I got to do, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 fighting for the consumer, you know. Damn the industry, I'm fighting I'm for the going. consumer. Well, right. you've always been a revolutionary ever since we we all began together seven years ago. And I can just picture that there's got to be mortgage guys that are sitting around and maybe they meet after work for a martini or something. They've got to go in. Did you hear what RP did today? Have you heard what RP's doing now? That RP funding. What are they up to over there? Got to be the I've, talk of the town. I've got a great story. So one of my uh, one of my uh, business development people was at a cocktail party or at, a, at an event, right? And when we go to these events with real estate agents, there's probably like a three-to-one ratio of people trying to sell real estate agents something to real estate agents, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go to like a women's council realtors meeting, if there are 30 real estate agents there, there are 90 title, mortgage, insurance, <laughs> home inspection, you know, uh, property management, like mm-hmm. like the, the, the vultures, right? All trying to get deals out of these real estate agents. And so they were an event. And so what ends up happening is usually the, the mortgage people are all like huddled over in a corner, like hanging out, talking. 
And so uh, my one of my people was talking to someone from a competitor. And there were like maybe two or three people from the competitor. And uh, and she was over there with him by herself. And so they kind of, they were ganging up on her. And, and they were talking about a deal that we had recently taken from them because they weren't going to be able to close on time. And so the customer switched to us. And uh, we were going to close that deal, I think, in like six days, five days. It was a, wow. it was a rush because they dropped the ball. And, and so mortgage person A at that company says, you can't close a loan in five days. There's no way. What's that all about? And then mortgage person B, person B from that same company said, he's Robert Palmer. He can do whatever he wants. And I've seen him close <laughs> loans that fast before. Right. And this was like my equivalent of the guy of the uh, Ditech commercial, because it's, it's, it wasn't even my person saying this. It was the two people at the competitor. The, the one was like, he can't. And I was like, I've seen him. He can. We can people. We do it every day. So yes, that's it. You know, we, and the cool thing, I mean, the whole point of this is right. When I was first in the mortgage business, I was a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, back then I would tell people, oh, mortgage brokering, that's the best thing possible because that's what I did, right? <laughs> like I have all these options and I can I can find, you know, now that I'm a lender, I realized that was complete BS. I didn't know any better at the time. Mm-hmm. All I knew was mortgage brokering. And the propaganda I had heard that mortgage brokers were, you know, mortgage brokers give consumers options. We have choices, you know, because you're not tied to one lender. Well, the problem is all lenders end up at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So as a mortgage broker, you're picking which of the lenders you're going to send the loan to who is then going to turn around and send it to Fannie Mae. Well, now at RP Funding, oh, oh. I just get to go straight to Fannie Mae, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a whole different ballgame. And so when when I from my eyes kind of first opened to this, I said, you know what? One day, one day I'm going to own a mortgage company that can close loans as quickly as I want to. I'm going to own a mortgage company where the underwriters and the processors and the funders and everybody are in one single building. See, because back then as a mortgage broker, Rob, I would have to FedEx your file to like three different states to get it closed. Oh. I mean, it was like my, that file would have more frequent flyer miles than you can imagine. And, and today it's a little better because everything's paperless. Now they're just emailing your file all over the country. Uh, but back then we had to FedEx the file all over the country. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing here, and, and again, this is why I built my company this way, because everything is right here. You know, like I'm looking through the window on the left side of the studio and I, I can see a row of loan officers. And then like like six or seven over, I can see the row of processors. And mm-hmm. then right, right behind them, I can see my head of underwriting's office. You know, I mean, it's all right. And then I can see the people that collect the mortgage payments after closing. Like I, I can go out there and I could throw a ping pong ball and I could probably bounce it off of the desk of every person who's going to touch your file from origination to closing. <laughs> and let me no other. There's there's no hardly any other companies that have that. You know, they're all. Oh, well, the underwriting is in California and the closing department is in New York and we're down here in Florida and we're going to send your file over the place and people lose documents and they can't keep mm-hmm. up. And this department hates that department because Sally got drunk at the Christmas party three years ago and ticked off Judy. I mean, it's it's insane. And so the, all these politics and all this like competing op center garbage, like it all got in the way of getting the consumer to the closing table, which mm-hmm. is what it was all about. So I, this is in my early, early career. I'm like, you know what? One day, one day I'm going to own my own mortgage lender. I'm going to quit being a mortgage broker mm-hmm. and I'm going to own an actual mortgage lender. And when I do it, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to get loans closed on time. I'm going to have underwriting and closing and funding and everything under one roof. And we're going to give great service to our consumer. Now, at this point in my life, Rob, I had no intentions of doing mortgages with no fees, right? That came mm-hmm. that came much later in life. Back then, I just I wanted to be able to give great service. And and I probably, at the time, was thinking I can charge higher fees if I'm able to get all this great service and get mm-hmm. loans done on time, get it done. right? Well, as I grew up and as I spent more time in the industry, and I had this kind of natural, natural personal evolution uh, to getting to the point where as I became a lender, I said, oh my God, these guys make way more money than we made as mortgage brokers. Like, (laughs) like, this is insane. Like, you know, I mean, it was like pulling back the curtain. I'm like, oh my, like, really? Like there's this much money to be made on a mortgage? And it almost made me feel guilty. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to quit charging the upfront junk fees because I am not that greedy. I'm not that ruthless. I don't have to make, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm like, this is too much money to make on a single deal. This can't be right. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm not going to charge the fees. Mm -hmm. I'm going to waive that 12, 13, 14, $1,500 worth of fees. I'm trying to think what our fee, what my at the last company I worked for, uh, before RP funding, I want to say underwriting was like six ninety five, six hundred ninety five dollars, and then I think processing, the processing fee was like four ninety five, so that's like twelve hundred bucks, right? Yeah. And then on top of that, we had to charge you uh, like twenty two fifty to pull your credit report, and then there was this thing called a MERS fee. So this is awesome. So uh, in order to avoid having to pay for transfers in public records. Uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association and some of the biggest lenders in the country uh, created a company called MERS, Mortgage Electronic mm. Recording Services or Systems, MERS. And uh, and MERS, the idea is instead of transferring, filing assignments of mortgage, because back in the day, if I sold your mortgage to somebody else, I had to go file a paper assignment 
down at the courthouse. Oh. And that would cost me like $12.50. Mm-hmm. And so the industry's like, we got a better idea. We're going to do this electronic thing and we're going to do all the, the assignments electronically. And MERS charges us as members $3.95. Listen, up $3.95. It may be a little more now, but back then it was $3.95. Mm-hmm. And so as an industry, we said, well, well, we can't be expected to pay this $3.95. <laughs> we're going to pass it on to the consumer. And so we actually, oh, we would wow. we would put the $3.95 on the closing statement with this other company. So, you know, so we're, we're charging like 1200 bucks for underwriting and processing, $3.95 for MERS, uh, $22.50 for credit report. Then we have to get a flood cert. We have to figure out if your house is in a flood zone. And that costs like, I don't think it's like 70 bucks. I know that, that one's 17. Flood cert was $17. And so we would charge that to the consumer. And then we have to get a tax service fee. Because uh, what oh. happens is we have to pay a third-party company to check your taxes every year to make sure they're paid. And then if your tax bill goes up or goes down, we want to know about it. And so instead of us having to call 8,000 different counties across the country to find out people's tax bills, there's a tax service bureau, these people, and we pay them like $76 or $82, something between $70 and $90 to monitor your tax bill and tell us when, uh, when the taxes change. And again, we could not be expected to give up. $76 of our hard-earned profit. <laughs> so we charge that to the consumer. And, and so I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, like I didn't even realize how much money lenders made back then. I, I wasn't in the know, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't get to see all the financial numbers, all the, the long-term profits from servicing. I mean, there's a lot of money in collecting the payments and servicing the loans because you get paid indefinitely. If you keep that loan mm-hmm. for 10 years, I get to make 500 bucks a year for 10 years. That's $5,000 extra. That's on top of the normal money you make, right? I mean, it's insane. And so I was like, you know what? I don't have to charge all this crap. I understand now why the industry is always called these junk fees because they truly are junk. I mean, it's just greed. Well, Robert, thank you for giving us so much information in this full hour. And folks, we want to remind you that there's more where this came from. As I mentioned earlier in the show, savingthousands.com. Click on the tab, radio shows. The tab is radio shows. And you will have, I think there's 400 hours of tape programming and each hour is labeled by content and there's info modules. These are short. These are 10 minute, 15 minute audio recordings between Robert Palmer and myself, where we'll take just one topic. Like how do you know when it's time to buy a home? How much home can you afford? What you can plan to go through during the mortgage process. It's easier than you think going through the closing process is one we recorded. We recorded one about how to figure out, when is the time to refi and how to calculate when you're going to come out ahead. And right now with the no lender fee, no closing cost refis, you don't need to calculate at all. All you need to do is make the call 855-773-8634, 855-773-8634. Also, if you want another avenue of listening to Robert Palmer and his financial teachings, there's an app for that. Yes, there is the saving thousands app from your Play Store. It's absolutely free. There's no obligation. And may I mention right now, there isn't any interaction between you and the Robert Palmer family of companies that's going to end up with your name on anybody's call list. That just doesn't happen here. We know what an inconvenience and intrusive that is to have people calling you during dinner because somehow they got your name furnished by some company. That doesn't happen here. You call, you get the information you want, you get the services you want. The Robert Palmer family of companies where it's all about customer service. Reach out, check it out. I guarantee you're going to love it. And until next time, I know that if you're listening to us, you're saving thousands with Robert Palmer.